a big welcome to everyone. Thank you so much for joining for our 59th session of the Battery Insiders podcast slash the, hosted in the Battery Revolution Clubhouse. And today we're very excited to have a very important topic to talk about. And we have touched on this also in previous sessions. But today we really want to dedicate an entire session to today's topic, which is battery talent and salaries. And the reason for that also why this is a very good time, because we're fortunate that Julia Reichel here, our speaker for the day, just launched with her organization, Avenza Search, a new battery talent report. It's the second one, and also been fortunate to support here as well through Battery Associates. And yeah, just super delighted to hear from Julia summarizing this report in the beginning. And then, of course, we can all come together and ask questions and think about what this might mean for our industry. Maybe just a quick word, Mariam, do you want to quickly introduce yourself as well? Yes, I'm Mariam. I'm um, co-hosting today with Simon. Thank you, Simon, for having me. And um, I'm co-founder of a company called Pulsenix. We make hardware to characterize batteries without interrupting operations. So, Julia, very happy to be here. Thank you, Mariam. Yeah, with this, Julia, we're going to pass it to you to maybe introduce yourself a bit and then, of course, summarize this really exciting battery talent report. Thanks, Simon. And uh, thanks, Mariam, uh, for having me. And uh, welcome to everyone um, who is a member of a company called Avensa Search. We are um, a, an executive search firm in the sustainability and clean tech um, space with a specific focus on uh, research driven, <clears throat> excuse me, research driven um, work. And that for us means two things. One is when we look for talent, we um, scope the market and we work in a research driven way to identify the right people. But also we have a research part to the business in which we generate proprietary data, um, so owned by our vendors that we are able to share with the market, but where we also do benchmarking work for clients who are looking to understand the sentiments of their talent. So Avensis is all about um, data-driven decision-making in the talent acquisition and retention space. And our focus, as I said, is clean tech, but within clean tech in particular, we focus on the battery value chain. So anything from mining, um, materials, refining, cell and pack production through to recycling and the application in downstream. Uh, so I promised a bit of an introduction to myself. Um, my background is travel and transportation. In fact, I trained as a pilot once upon a time and um, since then spent many years working in research, best practice research um, around technology in the space. So why do research into talent in this particular sector? When we first launched Arvensis, we said, you know, we wanted to create a business that focused on clean tech and sustainability. We wanted to do the right thing. We wanted to, if you like, improve the image of um, <laughs> the terrible, terrible image executive search firms have. So we decided, given my background in travel and my co-founder's background as a material scientist, we decided that the battery and the electrification world is where we wanted to be. We soon discovered that clients were telling us about the war for talent 
And no matter who you speak to, all the big organizations who have built or are building pilot and giga plants, they're all talking about launching search, um, sorry, recruitment campaigns by the thousands and unable to actually close some of those talent gaps. So the researcher in me straight away kicked into gear and said, well, anecdotal is not good enough for me. Uh, if our clients want to trust us, we need more than the sample size we can provide as an executive search firm. And we actually need to put some volume behind this. And that's what led to the launch of the first report. So <clears throat> given that talent is really often at the core of delivery issues um, within organizations and only moves onto the radar for senior leadership when it's gone horribly wrong, really. Um, we wanted to do the research so that senior decision makers, both in the business and in the HR side of the business, are able to make decisions in a data-driven way and in a strategic way. So when we did the first report, sorry, the first research project back in 21, we started building out a database of uh, professionals and uh, probably the listeners here <laughs> remember seeing emails from me, you were probably being targeted by us. And it was interesting to see the initial reports. What we found this year is that the response rate has six-folded. So not, clearly not only did it resonate with the employers able to understand what talent actually think, and I will talk about sentiment in a minute, but also with the talent itself, the ability, hey, I'm dissatisfied and I'm dissatisfied because that clearly resonated because with no extra marketing, we were able to secure a six-fold response rate um, and go into markets such as Asia and North Pacific, um, North America, which were really not reachable for us in the first iteration of this report. Um, and Battery Associates played a key part here in increasing the reach, as did some of our industry partners, for example, the uh, uh, UK, UK big, some of the manufacturers, all of whom have been um, great, great supporters. So um, I said I would talk about sentiment. What does talent sentiment mean and why is it important? Uh, if I tell you a little anecdote, I'm currently involved in a global initiative run through the World Tourism Council, Travel and Tourism Council. And um, we've done some research with the stakeholders, 80% of uh, decision makers, business leaders there say that their businesses are currently understaffed and there's a talent issue. And all the big consulting houses go out and they continue the message that there is a talent issue. And one of the associates in this collaboration brought me on board and said, hey, Julia, can you talk to these guys? Because nobody seems to consider the position of the talent, right? off the supply chain, off the talent. If the talent isn't coming or staying, then surely the research has got to be into why they're not coming and not staying. And that is what the talent sentiment is. Why do my people consider me a good employer? Why don't they consider me a good employer? How important is the salary to them? How important is flexible working? Um, how important is leadership style? Um, how often do they go and speak to recruiters? All those are the questions that we can really shed a light on. That um, together with some uh, 
creating a base understanding around diversity, equality and inclusion, um, as well as the value of training. Um, those are the things that we were able to really wrap our hands around, our arms around over the last two years. So for the next 10 minutes or so, um, I'd like to share the output um, of the research work and, and share some of the, the key trends. So let's start with what is the scope and why did we choose that particular scope? So from our work as an executive search firm, we knew that the highly technical talent, so the chemical engineers, <clears throat> the battery designers, cell designers, um, the hydrometallurgists, those kind of roles, the CTOs, they were the roles that inevitably ended up with us. And so they were by and large that mid to senior level roles with more than five experience, more than five years experience. And again, the priority from the perspective of the, our clients, sort of knocking on the 10 to 12 year experience, and then obviously the C-suite. Um, in terms of region, we weren't able to really pinpoint where the problem lay, but we knew it was in that, in that segment where talent were really experts in what they were doing and they had grease under their fingernails and they came with lessons learned, but they weren't so high up in the ivory tower that they weren't operational anymore. So that's what we focused on building our database. And we collected the, or we looked for, um, in it's very hard work building databases. Um, so we looked for about three, 2,500 to 3,000 individuals, and we gathered their email addresses and did contact details um, in their various employers. And, and we contacted them and we said, hey, would you, uh, would you reply to this survey? And in the process of building the survey and speaking to this talent, the first insights arrived with us. And the first one was no matter how uh, senior and no matter how well educated this talent pool is, given that over 80% have PhDs and masters, the hunger for training is high. The value that is being put on further training, further development, further knowledge is extremely high. So straight away, we are able to say to a client who comes to us and says, we can't hold on to our people. We can say, well, do you offer them further training? So that was the first thing that came out for us. The second one was that um, diversity, equality really means a lot to this talent pool. And when we started to investigate that and look at the data, we found that women were um, highly under presented if that makes sense so women were highly underrepresented in the senior leadership level as well as in the higher salary categories even though women pound for pound had more phds and more master's degrees than the male um, contingent of the research so it became really clear to us that equality and um, diversity and inclusion was something that this talent pool felt really strongly about. 
Next up was the obvious question of the salaries. Everybody wants insight into salaries, no matter if I'm an employer, if I am a functional leader, an HR specialist, or if I am um, an employee. To have a level of transparency is really useful and really important for a couple of reasons. Number one, I would like to know as an employee, am I being valued and am I being rewarded in line with what my peers are receiving in terms of monetary value? Um, and that is to say, money isn't everything for this talent pool because it really is not but we found that a lot of very senior people with a lot of qualifications and years of experience were paid really rather poorly so that's probably not something the employers on this <laughs> podcast want to hear but let me flip the coin when you are looking for a um a hydrometallurgist who is going to go to Indonesia, um, then you will, and work on an expat package, you will probably find that you end up, um, after much search work, with two or three people that really can do the job and are willing to do the job. Now, what happens if two of those say, actually, I've changed my mind? Then you're left with one, and that one person can demand the salary of their choice. So if you as an employer are able to say, this is the range and we're willing to, to put you on the top end of the range, but not because this is our corporate salary band, but because this is what your peers are earning um, and this is what we're willing to pay, it puts you in a more powerful position. So what we then did this year is we started to look at the satisfaction le level with the sal of the salary. So we asked specifically, have your salaries gone up or down in the last 12 months? And how satisfied are you with that salary level? And has your satisfaction changed in the last 12 months? And again, I'll share the output um, with that shortly. The next section is really about there's their willingness to stay with you as an organization or to engage with you as a potentially new employer. And the reason that is important is we, we speak to our candidates regularly, especially when we're in the middle of a search program. And they say to us a lot of the time, oh God, I had three calls from headhunters today and um, two of them really didn't know what they were talking about. Um, and the third one really didn't research me particularly well and I didn't want to talk to them. So we know that this talent pool is being targeted fairly aggressively um, from in-house recruitment teams as well as external uh, organizations like us. But last year, what we saw was that they were quite latent. Um, they were not interested in sending their CV. They were not particularly interested in doing anything about it, even though they were looking. So we were again interested in how has your behavior changed over the last 12 months? So last year, 
um, it, it just over 50% told us that they were looking at job boards on a weekly or monthly basis. And th th this time around, um, it, it has increased. So interesting statistics there um, happening. So this year, we're looking over 76%, for example, looking at mar the market, the employer market, on a weekly or monthly basis. And 79% of them say, for example, that we have been, I have been contacted by an executive recruitment search firm um, in the last 12 months. Now think about that, 79% of the people you work with have taken a call from a headhunter. They're not looking, but they're being targeted. So there is um, a huge amount of movement to be anticipated. So, so then the last item we looked at was the employer satisfaction. So, how um, so how satisfied are you employed with your with sorry, how satisfied are you with your employer overall, and how has that changed over the last um, year? So that was the background of the research. So let me give you the scope. So we had uh, reached into all the geographies, even though. Um, the African subcontinent was significantly underrepresented. So um, if Africa is an area you're interested in and you've read the report, I would say get in touch um, because we need to treat those numbers with um, some care. 70% uh, of our, sorry, 74% of the respondents were full-time employed and 16% part-time employed. The majority of 63% were male. Um, and 48% have been in the battery sector for between five and 10 years. And 31% stated that they had been out there of up to five years, and then obviously the remaining 10 years and above. From a seniority level, so again, you know, to say, am I moving in the right um, peer group here? 42% uh, were at management level and 27% at director and then 90% at VP and C level and then the remainders were what we up to now classed as other. Um, we will be breaking that out into more segmentable data next time round. Um, specifically also we're going to look at the departments so we can start breaking out um, which areas, you know, is it manufacturing, is it R&D, is it, uh, you know, which function are these, these uh, this talent working in? And from an educational status, that is slightly lower than last year, 63% um, stated that they had a master's or a PhD. So I've talked for 20 minutes already and I'm just getting to the key trends. So, um, I'm going to give you uh, an overview here. So we found that 70% of people stated that their benefits had increased compared to last year. However, what we found quite notable is that the benefit most people receive is healthcare, and that's still only just over 40%. So that raises a question for me on how well our constituents, our employees are being looked after. Um, healthcare, it should be or is the top benefit, obviously. And then we have other items like pension, car allowance, um, share options, life insurances, um, and all of those are below 40% and then dropping to below 30%. What's interesting is that um, 
the benefits increase was slightly higher in the female sector section um, and was highest overall in Eastern, uh, excuse me, in the Middle East, um, with North America showing the slowest increase. Moving on to salaries. So um, here again, we have some really in in interesting trends. Um, higher, the, the, the amount of uh, respondents are told us that their salary was higher now than last year was over 50%. And the region that reported the highest increase is Africa, and I would like to take that out. So again, if you have the report in front of you, I ask you to um, not look at the Africa graph, um, because as I said, it's not enough data um, from that particular segment. So Western and Central Europe um, showed the highest salary increase. If I consider the work we're doing in travel and transportation, Western and Central Europe is the key area where employers are struggling to attract talent. So no surprise there. In terms of the seniority, it was the management level that the had the highest increases and the C-suite the lowest increases. If we break it by uh, gender, females had a slightly, uh, sorry, females reported a higher degree of decrease in salary. So let me rephrase this. More women reported that they had their salary decreased than males um, overall. So moving on to the satisfaction then, um, from a satisfaction point of view, um, the majority of people are equally satisfied and with about 40% stating that they were more satisfied. And really where I want to spend a little bit of time on now is the dissatisfied section, because this is where the 79% of people being called by headhunters become really significant if you are an employer. So this is, these, this is the group that we call to be at flight risk. So the most dissatisfied re by region, again, is Africa. I ask you to discard that for the minute. So the most dissatisfied uh, region after that is Asia Pacific. And the most dissatisfied by seniority is the non-leadership roles. So the roles that we clustered under other. And that's why it's so important that in the next research cycle, we break this out um, and get more segmented information. But think about this. Uh, nearly 30% of your main crew employees report that they're dissatisfied with their salary. And that tells me that um, that is potentially causing disruption to your operation and your production. What is very interesting, given that I just talked about the fact that females reported um, a higher decrease, um, the most dissatisfied section was actually the male section. Um, so women appear to be maybe um, putting up, I'm doing air quotes, which you can't see, um, then males. Um, then the next section we wanted to look at was, well, what happens with counteroffers? Obviously, this is, this is um, a, a, a popular um, action when a valuable team member leaves, which again leaves me open as an employer to this unchallenged salary conversation. 
Um, you know, I increase your salary by 30%, will you stay? Well, that sends a message across the entire organization and puts me in the light for um, some ungoverned, potentially ungoverned salary conversations. What's interesting is, um, is that the majority, in fact, would consider a counteroffer. Um, only 40% said too little, too late. Main reasons for leaving an employer has moved. And again, there's a little bit of time spent on this. Last year, when we had primarily a European contingent in responses, the main reason to leave the employer was focusing on um, the leadership style of the business and the purpose that the talent attached to their work. This year, with a global reach, that has shifted and the top reason to consider leaving has now become the salary. Um, that said, when we look at why are you attracted to an employer, it is the modern and flexible leadership that attracts employer, uh, attracts employees to your business. So when you think about how you position yourself as a business, your employer branding becomes really important here to show that you're a modern decentralized um, organization. Okay, next up, um, then diversity. Um, we asked how diverse do you think uh, the business is and the industry is? And what was interesting is that the industry uh, shaped up better than the individual employers. Um, with um, over just under 60% stating that, of respondents stating that um, they felt their employer um, was as diverse as expected or more diverse. Um, when we asked about the industry, that was edging into 70%. Great. Um, the last item I think I want to cover before I head into questions and debate is this willingness to engage with the market again you know i want to highlight this this being at flight risk um so 80 over 80 percent told us that they are more willing this year as in the research was done in 2022 that they were more willing this year to participate in um job search and engage with the job market than the year before and 46% told us that they check what's going on on the job market monthly and 16% check weekly. So the majority of employees check career pages and job boards um, regularly. And their sentiment is that they are much more willing to engage. What has also shifted is their actual action. So last year, I said earlier that the talent pool was latent. This year, we see that only 28% of the overall pot of respondents said that they hadn't actually done anything. So 72% have sent applications, have interviewed, and have turned down offers, um, or have not turned down offers as it might be. So 79% told us that they were approached by headhunting firms and 60% told us that that made them engage in the process for selection. So I want to say that again, 79% of your people are being targeted by headhunters and 60% of those 
engage uh, in the process of selection as a result. So this is great news if you're in the business of hiring and expanding and your talent acquisition is your number one strategic objective. It's really not good news if um, you are looking to retain your people. Last but not least, uh, and I've sort of covered this in my overview, is the value of training. Um, I said that um, uh, nearly 90, over 90% told us that ongoing training is of personal value as well as employer value. But what I found staggering personally is um, that the, the value of further training in senior leadership, so directors, VPs, and C-level is extremely high. So 29% um, of the people who stated that they felt training was ongoing training for themselves was of real importance were in that senior leadership um, side of things. And given that these are highly experienced, highly paid and highly educated, staff members um, and leaders, I, I found that really very interesting. So even at senior leadership, training and developing is regarded extremely highly. So Simon, that was my 25 minute whistle stop tour um, of the data we've uncovered. And I obviously want to encourage everyone who's listening to get in touch and, and get a copy of the report because there's huge amounts of numbers flying around. And also, I might not have taken out the segments that are particularly interesting for you. And what we're able to do is we are able to pull out um, data sets uh, for clients to say, to help them understand what exactly is going on in their region or where they're feeling the pain. So, um, so yeah, we, we want to make sure that this data gets absorbed and used. We want it on every, in every boardroom. We want it in every <laughs> HR department, um, we produce this for free because we believe this is so crucial to be able to bring this um, this transparency. So, Simon, over to, over to you with questions. Thank you so much, Judah. We really appreciate it. And yeah, also for anybody who's listening live, you can also find the link to download the report <clears throat> here in the chat. Or if you listen to this um, you know, as a podcast, as a recording, you can also find the link in the show notes. Great. Yeah. I mean, as you said, lots and lots of interesting data in there. And of course, also you ended on the training, which of course, the most we're passionate about, as you know, is the battery MBA. And of course, very fortunate you took it yourself and also have been, you know, so, you know, so, um, so kind to sponsor actually scholarships on, on that as well, which I think is super well received. And as you said, also, I find quite interesting the data you shared about the, the value of training and further training also for leadership and director level. As you said, about a third or so, 30% or so. Um, which, of course, we very much believe in. That's why we're also doing the Bachelor and in similar programs. Um, maybe one question I would like to start with, Rula, I found just really interesting because, you know, you, you spoke about the complexity and how you want this information to be out there, etc. I was wondering, have you also looked into maybe different strategies, you know, between more like startup level? Because, of course, there's a lot of startups also coming. We're mm -hmm. talking maybe fast-growing, you know, medium-sized company versus the big, you know, companies um, out there as well and corporates. Maybe some different strategies or different things you have seen work more officially on either level. Yeah, it's a really good question, Simon. Um, in last year's uh, data data collection, we did ask about the size of the business. We didn't do that this year because we felt that um, it might be off-putting 
um, from the perspective of um, we are a small community of businesses, right? Um, and uh, we didn't want to put uh, respondents into a place where they didn't feel comfortable responding. I think for next year, absolutely, we will put that back in. The report has gained a life of its own. You know, it has gained a brand in itself. Um, and I'm delighted to see that there's a, a recruitment company out of the US who's now copying us and uh, trying to do something similar. As my old boss used to say, you know, a, a market with competition is a good market. So I'd be interested to see what um, they will produce. But no, we kept we kept um, that segment out this year, and we also kept the the um, salary um, bands quite broad, so that nobody would um, abandon the response or interview. Actually, you know what? This is uncomfortable. I don't want to answer this. Totally. What I can say is that. Um, we tend to get engaged, I would say, ever so slightly more with the SME sector and the startups than the corporates. And that's an interesting situation to be in. So um, when you consider that a, a startup firm that might have just had you know, somewhere in the region between 50 and $120 million of funding that they end a chunk of that with an executive search partner like us but of course they are very driven and they have no appetite for failure they need these people in place they need them in place by the state and they need to be the right people who come in and hit the ground running with lessons learned with the gray hairs to show to say do this and don't do that so the appetite to go after the right people and actually pay bigger salaries is bigger in the startup uh, segment than it is in the corporate segment. So that's the first thing I would say. Um, with the corporates, what we find is when they ask to work with us is when they are actively rebranding themselves from that um, uh, yeah, <laughs> dirt producing legacy company. Um, you, you know, they might be mining, they might be from the chemical sector, they might be oil and gas. If they are looking to move into this space, there's there's two things. Number one, their talent is uh, the biggest segment uh, that is moving across uh, quite naturally. So we don't need to go after oil and gas or chemicals people. They are doing that by themselves. Um, but those kind of businesses who are actively rebranding themselves, rewriting their mission statements and their value sets, they come to us and help us ask us for support. I hope that answers your question. Great. No, that, that's super helpful. Thanks so much, Julia. And thanks also for sharing a bit of context there. Mariam, would you like to ask a question? Julia, I, I would like to zoom in on the statistic that you mentioned, which is that... Um, the most dissatisfied segment are highest in non-leadership positions. Can you mm -hmm. explain a little bit more um, what non-leadership positions means? Is, does that mean non-C-suite? And then also, are there any reasons why necessarily that is the most dissatisfied segment? Is it more that they're not getting enough training or is it that the salaries are not competitive enough? Mm -hmm. 
Good question. So um, let me define leadership. It's really interesting, uh, this question, Mariam, because over and over we get asked that. And so clearly we need to be clearer about this. So <clears throat> we look at the org chart in terms of the following structure, um, C-level, VP level, director level, management and supervisory level, and then non-leadership than. So anyone who might have listened to my joint webinar with the German consulting company working with the German government, VDE, VDI, it was really interesting because they had super um, data broken out in a very different way, which made it really interesting to compare our, our data sets. For us, we stick we stick to this, and uh, you know, again, we welcome any feedback from the market. You know, if the listeners are telling us, "Hey, this makes better sense for us if you break it out this way," then we can do that. The idea behind of this was that we want to get a clear picture of that technical segment, that subject matter expert who is not interested or maybe is interested in moving across into a leadership track in order to get the higher salary versus becoming more deeply knowledgeable and more deeply experienced in his or her specific field. And so that's why we defined it in do you have um, do you have people responsibility? Do, are you at this level or are you not? So, but as I said, I think it's really important that on the next research cycle we go deeper on breaking out the segment of other. When you then look at the dissatisfaction levels, um, we the answer is no, we don't understand it yet, and it will require some either dedicated survey work or some targeted stakeholder interviewing. My sense is that um, dissatisfaction happens, as we know from the research, when I'm not happy with um, my direct leader in front of me, when I'm not working for a business that is aligned with my values and my ethos, when I feel I am micromanaged and when I feel I don't get paid enough. So salary comes in fourth on this particular um, scale. So of course, the possibility that I feel a combination of any of those four things is much higher in what I call the main crew. This is a leftover from my airline days. Um, the main crew, so the people who are no leadership and people responsibilities who are deeply in their projects, who are getting plants up and running, who are putting machinery in, who are designing cell packs, uh, who are you know mixing away in the clean room. Because they don't have sight so much of the company strategy, the company issues, maybe around funding, and they they have that direct supervisory person in front of them that they may or may not get on with. Um, they may also feel I haven't had a pay rise in two years. They are much more subject to this kind of uh, kaleidoscope of dissatisfaction growing. And now you bundle on top of that, that they get called by headhunter saying, hey, do you know your skill is in demand? 
and suddenly their dissatisfaction rises. But as I said, this is anecdotal from our insights into speaking to candidates every day. Um, and I personally would like to put some data behind that um, in, in 2023 to understand exactly what leads to the dissatisfaction. So it's a really good question. So Julia, just to, just to follow up on that, uh, because, you know, typically the, the value system and the standards and the mission and vision statement of a company, does that play a role at all in terms of um, lo uh, employment, employee loyalty? Because you did mention that statistic that 79% of the talent pool is being headhunted, 60% of those choose to engage. And that seems like a very high number in terms of uh, you know um, the talent pool basically being able to access opportunities in different countries over a very short period of time um, so yeah how how strongly does the value system and mission state uh, mission statement and vision of the company play a role that's uh, uh, personally Excuse me. Personally, I think it, it is the be all and end all. Um, and I'm speaking here as an entrepreneur who is building out a business myself where, you know, why did I, I gave up a big corporate career, you know, with a big six figure salary and uh, the corner office and the VP title. And I decided to start a headhunting business you know, one day. And so my personal view was that um, I was in travel, I was working on putting more people on planes. And whenever I sat in front of IALTA or my, my peers in other technology firms or the GDS providers, and I said, hey, guys, I don't buy into this doubling passenger numbers by 2030. I want to half them because, you know, we can't carry on like this. Um, it was so extreme how my value set clashed with my with my paycheck um you know we were as a household we were living non-packaged my daughter was going to um uh, an anthropomorphic software course school um you know we were living in the countryside and so it, my value set clashed with my salary check to a point where I couldn't justify doing my job any longer and put everything on the line to create a business that aligned with my value set. And when I look at my research data, I, I see the same thing emerging. So the reason for being satisfied with the employer um, is flexibility, number one. Number two, the sustainability focus of the business. Number three, career path. Number four, salary. When I look at the dissatisfied section, why are you dissatisfied? Salary, leadership style. And because we haven't broken out the mission, the values um, separately, apart from the sustainability focus, which comes in high up, we can wrap the all of those items, the, the mission, the values and the ethos into the leadership style, because the leader, obviously, the leadership level have to buy into this. Um, we get a really clear picture that that is the number two stroke, number two edging into number one reason for dissatisfaction. Um, 
so that's that's my that's my personal story and I, I as i said i see the same in the in the research data great thank you so much for sharing julia and also now we want to give a opportunity for anybody else with any questions <clears throat> feel free to also either come up stage or put it in the chat as well otherwise we also have a few more questions but yeah if, if you know if you have any question about salaries or career progression or any of these topics julia is a fantastic person to ask because she as you can tell she's very passionate about it but also she has a lot of numbers and a lot of research to back up lots of these things so but also anecdotes as well which can also be helpful so yeah just want to encourage you all if there's anything feel free to bring come up on stage or ask questions in the chat as well we're happy to have you here as well otherwise maybe we can yeah we're just going to give it a moment but also otherwise Mara, maybe you want to ask one more question about career progression yeah julia you did mention an, an interesting point about uh, the um uh, career growth being one of the priorities of the talent pool and uh, that got me wondering if uh, also uh, leaving your current employer going to a different employer um, you're seeing a trend that people are doing that for perhaps better titles or more larger responsibilities and they're able to do that if they leave the employer they're currently with yeah, it's again, it's a really interesting question. And yes, it's the answer. Um, so people, uh, so it depends on their personal drivers. Let me start with that. Um, the personal drivers are inevitably, um, I want to do the right thing. I want to be involved in, in a sustainable organization. I want to drive electrification. Um, number two, I need to feed my family. So money is important. And number four, three, sorry, number two and number three, I, I, I feel I am ready for the next step. Now, the focus here is the I feel, because what we see quite a lot is this inflation of the title. So we are in a fast growth sector and we only have a definitive pool that everybody can fish out of um, and find the best talent. We actively encourage our clients to go into alternative markets and consider where is the skill set and the experiences um, relatable enough. So this is somebody who can come in and hit the ground running to a certain degree, but the upskilling is minimal because when you take somebody who is super ambitious super smart has studied a lot and has done his or her first two or three positions and you suddenly accelerate that person's career path in a way that is it doesn't need to be linear but not in line with their ability to develop um, and grow into this kind of new role then you set not only your business up for an element of failure, but crucially that person. So if that person is overwhelmed by the decisions they're supposed to make, overwhelmed by suddenly going from being a subject matter expert with tech, deep technical expertise to running a team of 20 or 30, um, when they're overwhelmed with making large budgetary decisions, then you are really setting that person up for failure. So we never, and uh, encourage our clients or our candidates to go up more than one step in the career career pathing at any given time 
Um, and even then, a move in less than two years, we don't see that working very well um, for the talent or the company. It's a short-term strategy and it leads to salary inflation, it leads to title inflation, um, and it leads to an unstable workforce. So that that would be my thoughts around that. It, and it's a really fine line because you want for your staff to feel valued, you you know, you you show them the career path. You want ambitious driven people who are not afraid to create change. But what you, we've got to ask yourself is, can you give them the infrastructure of support? Do you have a mentorship program in your business? Uh, do you have the ability to, um, yeah, for no better word, cut them slack if they, if they make big mistakes? Um, do you have enough um quality assurance of that person's work to say somebody senior is still overseeing them um so not not mentorship in the sense of um hey you could try this or that but actually still managing that person supervising that person so those are the things you need to ask yourself if you're looking at fast tracking somebody fast tracking can work really really well and um, from a retention perspective it is a valuable strategy but you would really need to handpick the people you do this with and give them a lot of support. Vice versa, if you're taking somebody out of their current position, the same applies. Plus, you now have the challenge that this is not somebody who's embedded in your organization. So can you give that person the time to become part, to absorb the company DNA and become part of the company DNA so that they can act efficiently and effectively in this new higher role with this new team. Um, one of the coaches we works about um, implanting the cheetah's heart into the elephant. You know, is this person different enough to create the change that you need? or And is he or she not too different to be chewed up and spat out um, in the shortest time? Great, thank you. No, super, super interesting insights, and also, yeah, I think very, very, you know, very, yeah, relevant, right, for anybody in, in their career and how to progress through it in, in the most efficient way. And as you say, short-term, long-term gains, very, very valid points. I think this is probably one of the last chances for anybody to ask questions. I wrote with a few of you who might have some, so just want to invite you now <clears throat> if you want to start ask a question. If not, that of course fine as well. I'm sure we can also reach out to Julia directly um, as well afterwards. But I just want to encourage you if you want to ask any questions now might be a good time before we close today's session. Otherwise, also maybe one last question from me to Julia, just thinking, you know, maybe what's one thing you could, I mean, you already shared some of it, but maybe, you know, if you could give, you know, any any final thoughts on one for the employer, one for the talent, you know, maybe what are some, you know, some, some good strategies you have observed and any tips you can, you know, just pass on to these two groups? Oh gosh, <laughs> that's a difficult question on a Sunday night, Simon. <laughs> um, you know, from the talents perspective, network, 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 go to every event, go to every podcast, go to every webinar that you can and network. Um, the kind of talent we're talking about here uh, will find probably, and I, I don't want to draw up some big, big um, assumptions here, but the, the commercial people in the world network very well and they do this quite naturally as part of their, their skill set and their modus operandi. Deep technical people 
tend to not enjoy networking very much. And what that means is that really you miss out on peer exchange, on um, being able to sound check when a headhunter calls you. Um, I think there's nothing worse than being told, hey, you would be a really good fit for this role and not being able to call up somebody you've met at a conference or who you're connected with on LinkedIn and says, and to say, hey, is this right, you know, and what's the manager like in this role, you know, what's been the challenge wise, the person leaving. Um, so I think network, speak to anyone and everyone in this industry that you can. It's We're a small pond, we're a small group of people by relative terms. And so to give each other that support, um, I think it is of extremely high value. It also sets you up for a potential leadership track. Um, I have a lovely story to tell, but I won't tell it today about how I resigned out of British Airways once upon a time. Um, so Simon, remind me another time, but network. So that is my, my one piece of advice to um, talent, so to employees. For employers, I would say take the data that we produce and benchmark. Don't assume you know how your people are feeling. We are producing this data. Um, as I said, we're still doing this for free. It might change. Um, because we are making a payable service available to benchmark. And when I say benchmark, what I mean is go in and really encourage an open dialogue culture in your organization so that when you come with a survey, people feel confident that they can tell you the truth because you want to know the truth about how your people feel about working for you. Only when you can you look the truth in the eye can you build strategies to deal with the bits that need attention. Um, don't go down the path of thinking I will just offer better salaries. That's not what this talent pool is all about. So use the data that we produce and benchmark internally and look where your areas are where you, you can engage better with your existing employees to drive retention. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Judah. I think both of you are excellent, excellent tips. And I think we have one more question from Philip. Philip, would you like to ask a question? Philip, you're muted at the moment in case you're speaking. There we go. Ah, okay. Now I found a button. You can hear me now? Yes. Nice to meet you, Philip. Okay. So thank you, Julia, for the nice uh, presentation. And um, yeah, I have maybe a, a short question. Um, I'm working for a big university in Germany. And uh, we try to find people. So we are we have an open job for a technology transfer officer in the battery field. But as university, we can't pay as much as industry can. So it's really hard to find uh, good people for for interesting jobs. So we have an excellent class excellence cluster in post lithium uh, battery research, but we don't find people. Yeah. So, so yeah, so your question is, how do you find? So I think, I think there is, um, there is, uh, th this is such a growth market. And as I said, talent is being pursued and hounded um, by, by the executive search firms and the recruiters and big salaries are being waived in front of this talent, right? So to your point, salary might well be a challenge. Um, 
But I think there is something more strategic than that. And we find this a lot when we take, when candidates, uh, when we try and take candidates who have been scholars and bring them back into the industry. And that is that employers are by and large fairly hesitant to bring scholars back or bring scholars into the commercial world because there is a, um, a worry that somebody who has dedicated their life uh, to research and teaching that they may find it really difficult to operate in a fast-paced and commercial environment, which is, of course, what the battery industry is. It's extremely fast-paced. It's high pressure. Funding rounds are being closed left, right, and center. And so I think there's the perception of a mismatch. Um, so that so when you take a step back for you as a university, you will probably struggle to attract really good people because they're worried that then they are being fixed on this path. Um, and then and then what that means is you narrow the amount of talent you can attract because th this is a very specific passion you have to have. And to leave your, um, you know, to, to either choose this from the word go or to uh, leave a commercial career behind. So I think that's probably what sits at the um, at the core of it. Um, Philip, I would like to offer you get in touch with us because we have, as a company, we have it written into our constitution that you do, we do an, a certain amount of pro bono work. And if we can help you, um, then I would like to offer that to you, that we have a conversation and we can see if we can help you get some good people in front of you for, for interviews. So you can, uh, you can grab my, my email address of our website, which is arvensis.org, and I'd love to have a conversation if we can help you with our pro bono fund. Thank you, Lila, for this really great offer. Yeah, I will talk to my colleagues and then we will come back to you. Great. Look forward to hearing from you. Fantastic, thank you. And maybe, yeah, we may even help, you know, some people out here, you know, how, how better to end a podcast. This <laughs> <laughs> is kind of closing. And yeah, as, as, as mentioned, um, also the link here is in the, in the, the chat, also in the show notes if you listen to this as a recording. And yeah, with this, maybe I just want to do a big, big thank you to Julia for sharing all of these insights. And of course, always wonderful also to partner with you, Julia, and all of this report as well. But also, yeah, I mean, all the tremendous work you're doing to bring more transparency into this market, which I think is very appreciated by both ends, right, as you said. The employer end but also the talent end so you know just be a big thanks to that and also big thanks for you to be here today with us and share all of your insights with all of our listeners yeah and thanks for the opportunity simon um obviously we we value the partnership with battery associates a lot um we feel equally that you guys do amazing things and i've been through your program i've done the battery mba and um i thought it was amazing learning and you know above all like a good mba should it provided me with such an amazing network um so yeah it gave me great confidence uh, to be operating in this market better so yeah anyone who's out there i'm <laughs> doing a little pitch for <laughs> the battery mba now but um it, it you know it's we we feel that this partnership around understanding talent sentiment and supporting talent and supporting employers is really important. So thanks for giving me the, the platform to um, speak to new contacts and hopefully um, get our data 
uh, more digested out there in the market. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, Julia. Much appreciated. Thanks, everyone. Have a good day. Have a good evening. Thank you, Julia. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Thank you, everyone.